You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another spooky edition of the Earth Station One podcast. How's everybody doing out there? And you know what? I'm going to stop that because that's just ridiculous. I can't even do that. But the man who can is Mr. Mike Gordon, and he is going to tell you all about this week's episode. Howdy! See, I, I, yeah, this is the time of year where we get our spooky voices on, right? Oh, it's very good to be here. <laughs> the, the, the countdown to Halloween has begun, and uh, we're off to a good start. We're talking to a uh, a filmmaker uh, on this episode. We'll be talking to a young filmmaker who's making his first horror movie, and we're talking to an expert on horror movies. So, um, and we've got that uh, that that award winning hack. Maddox joining us later too. So, and if you really want to be scared, just listen to Maddox. You know, <laughs> exactly. My yeah, yeah. Uh, Maddox will scare the pants off you. Um, so, which is great because it's a podcast. So, you know, it doesn't matter if we're wearing pants or not. I haven't worn pants since March, dude. <laughs> Talk about being scared. <laughs> but uh, it's wonderful to share with everybody this time of year. We've got some great epi- – like the, this episode's great. Um, and we've got some fun, fun spookiness coming uh, for the next uh, four weeks. So uh, so strap yourselves in and, uh, you know, be prepared for some treats and uh, maybe a few tricks too. Of course, yeah. any episode we make it through is a trick, as we like to say. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. You know, and remember, folks, we have a Halloween cost contest going on right now. You want to tell everyone a little bit about that, Mike? Yeah, we're looking for horror stories. Uh, they can be fictional. They can be non-fictional. Uh, we just need your uh, submissions. Um, for the first time ever, uh, we here at the Earth Station One podcast are co-producing um, a couple of episodes uh, with uh, a fellow podcast called it, This Epic Disaster. Now, that's a perfect name for uh, a podcast to uh, celebrate uh, uh, Halloween with, especially this year. Um and uh, we're going to air your stories. We're gonna we're gonna um, actually narrate your stories. We'll bring their stories to life. Um, so uh, and for all our audiences. So the audiences on Earth Station One podcast, uh, all the listeners for the This Epic Disaster podcast. Uh, this is something that This Epic Disaster has been doing for a few years now. So uh, they invited us to be part of the action. So. We jumped all over it because we love, we know we have some uh, writers out there that uh, can contribute. And it's not a, like, look, this is, we're not looking for, you know, you to submit like um, something that, you know, Bram Stoker or Mary Shelley would be proud of. Um, we just would need a horror story between a thousand, three thousand words about any scary subject you choose. Um, try to keep your story at a PG-13 rating. So, because we are, uh, both shows are family friendly. Um, and, uh, the deadline is the 15th of October. Uh, so you've got a couple weeks, 
Uh, so you want to submit those to feedback at earthstation1.com. Uh, again, the, the deadline is October 15th and submit that to feedback at earthstation1.com. If you have any questions, need more details, uh, just uh, hit us up at that email address as well. We'll be glad to help you out. Uh, you can also contact either Mike or myself on Facebook and all the social media and we'll be glad to um you know providing more details as you need them but uh we've gotten a few entries already uh but we've got space for more so please uh participate tell all your friends um if there's anybody who you know might be interested please let them know and have them reach out to us because uh this is exciting we want to have you guys involved uh on a big way in a big way for uh this year's uh penultimate halloween episode that we're doing at the end of the month Exactly. And it's a great way to promote your writing on top of it, because we'll be announcing who will be writing each story, who it was by and everything. So it should be a lot of fun. I think it's a great idea. And Rick and Sherry over It's Epic Disaster is pretty excited about doing it with us. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we're and we're certainly willing to, you know, have you guys on the show as well. Um, So, you know, we want to help just like I said, we want you to participation. We want to make this and we're trying to be more inter- interactive <laughs> and uh, you know, we want to make you part of the fun, um, not just uh, provide you content, but it's always great when we get uh, listener feedback and listener interaction too. So we know a lot of you guys are pretty creative and have some pretty scary stories out there to share with us. So Oh, very, 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 uh, very things that'll uh, knock our socks off. So, so yeah, we'll be pantsless and we'll be socksless. So it's, oh my God, (laughs) it's going to be just in time for it to get cool. You know, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. So of course we're doing that. um, And of course we want to hear from you in other ways, right, Mike? Oh, we always want to hear from you guys. Of course we want to hear from you and you know, we told you the email address, but of course, please don't forget, we are always looking for new patrons on the ESO patron and Earth Station One is a proud member of the ESO network, the ever-growing ESO network, as we talked about last week. And also, let's say howdy to some of our friends over at the Weeby Geek Collective, because this is our first episode howdy! that we're actually up on their collective. So we are now part of we're ever growing you more people are hearing us all the time so it's pretty awesome so you know definitely check out the eso network patreon where you can get the show 48 hours before the rest of the world you also get earth station who the dragon con report and a couple other special things up there and you could donate for as little as 25 cents a week that's not too shabby as we like to say here on the network you know 25 cents a week, that's less than a cup of coffee costs these days, unless you go to the, one of those cheapy places. But we're not talking about that right now. So all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. We have four tiers. You could support us, like we said, for a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars. Not too sad. And each time you up your ante, you get some really cool ESO swag or get other rewards. So it's pretty cool. Hell, we found our new co-host for the Dragon Con report through the Patreon. So, <laughs> so, you know, you never know. You could actually become part of the ESO Network even more so. So check it out, the ESO Network Patreon. Also, quick shout out to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. That's right. Gamer glasses are the thing right now. That's right. They stop Blu-ray light. They stop the harmful light that hurts your eyes that wear you out. The computer monitors, the TV screens, the 
gamer glasses help with all that. And on top of that, they got really cool sunglasses. There's all those different kind of things that you could check out. And, you know, all you have to do is go to tofosioptics.com. Really cool sunglasses and gamer glasses and safety glasses. And you know what? You put an ESO network into the coupon code, you get an extra 10% off your order. And it just shows that you're, we're sending you and they're sending love to Tifosi Optics. All you have to do is go to tifosioptics.com and check it out. And now it's time for the Geek Seat segment. And we are joined by a very special guest tonight. Let's welcome filmmaker Richard Bergen to the show. Oh, hi there, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. Howdy. Welcome to the station. We understand that uh, you have got a, a a horror movie that you're working on that's appropriate for this time of year. That's right, yes. I have a, a psychological horror film that will be coming out next month called Fang. Fang. Okay, that sounds cool. Um, tell us a little bit about it and how, it, how you got started with the idea and everything. Well, Fang is the story of a young man named Billy Cochran. He is a janitor with undiagnosed autism who lives with his mother in kind of this gritty neighborhood in Chicago. And, you know, so Billy is very kind of isolated. He's disconnected from the people around him. And one night, Billy wakes up, he goes to the bathroom, and then there's this rat that jumps out and bites him. And so from there on out, Billy starts to feel like he's transforming into a rat himself. And I can't say any more because I don't. I don't want to give anything else away that happens. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. The best. The, the yeah. Well, the best Halloween or the best horror movies, you know, start off. You could tell us, and then then they just are a ride from there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, after that. After the premise is set up, it's a uh, no spoiler territory from there on Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, nope. we we are spoiler free zone here. That's good. Yeah, my lips are sealed. <laughs> was this uh, was this your idea, and this is a dream project of yours? This was my idea. Yeah, I uh, I started writing the script for Fang back in March of 2019, and that took me about five months. And then after the script was completed, we moved into pre-production pretty quickly. But it was all my idea was kind of inspired by different life experiences I've had. Gotcha, gotcha. Is this your is this your first movie? This is my first feature film. Wow, yeah, it's wow. Uh, oh, thank it's a, you. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, and uh, the cast looks great. I mean, I, I I recognize some of these names that you got working with you. Oh yeah, we did. We do have a uh, terrific cast that we got for Fang. I think we were really incredibly lucky with how well the actors fit their roles, especially because you know we. The casting kind of got pushed back. It, it took a little while for us to find some of our actors, but they all did a really great job. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed, especially to see uh, Lynn Lowry's name, because uh, Mike and I shared, uh, we were table neighbors with her at a at a horror convention. Uh, wow, it seems like a lifetime ago. But uh, um, And she's great. Uh, so I look forward to seeing her performance. Oh yeah, well, well, Lynn actually told me while we were making the movie that this is one of her favorite projects that she's worked on, and she thinks this is one of her best performances. And she plays the role of Gina, Billy's mother, and just as Billy has 
undiagnosed autism and is transforming into a Regina also has her own disability. She has Parkinson's. So there's a big mother-son conflict, and I think that's really the heart and soul of the movie. And, uh, you know, Lynn, when she really gets into it, she is she is terrifying. <laughs> you know, she, she is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, sharing a table with her. Uh, no, she was a sweetheart then. Um, so oh, she's a uh, sweetheart in real life. She's a uh, she's a beast in the in the movie. She, yeah, she can be. Um, so so the idea for this, where did it, are you a fan of horror movies? Do you like a lot of horror movies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. It's funny because as a kid, I didn't I didn't watch a lot of horror when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I kind of got into it in a big way as a teenager. So I think that gives me a somewhat different perspective on the genre versus people who have been horror fans their whole life. But I think that I think what really inspired the movie was kind of, you know, this period of my life where I was living with my dad and he too has Parkinson's like the character Gina in the movie and I have high functioning Asperger so that was an influence on Billy's autism although he's he's much more extreme than me in terms of his mental unraveling mm-hmm. I've never felt like I'm transforming into a rat or <laughs> not yet anyway <laughs> you're still young uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah give me time a, that's uh, basically a setup for the sequel i can see it now <laughs> i uh but it sounds it sounds like you're coming at this from a different perspective which is really cool too oh thank you absolutely so what uh what sort of uh horror movies inspired you what were the great ones that you that you uh drew from particularly for this project well i think I think definitely I would say that Psycho was a big influence on this project. I would say Billy has a little bit of the Norman Bates in him and Gina has a little bit of the Norma Bates in her. (laughs) Okay. But of course it's very different from Psycho too, but I do think that it would appeal to any fans of that kind of classic psychological horror set up where it's really rooted in this dysfunctional family drama that kind of goes to the next level. Well, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like, you know, all your, most of your uh, principal photography was shot in, it finished in February this year, right? Yeah, we filmed in uh, January and February in Chicago. So yeah, (laughs) filming the uh, outdoor scenes. That's cold. Yeah, the yeah the. Thankfully, we didn't have to film too much outdoors, but those that got a little bit rough sometimes. Yeah. Overall, we were very lucky with the weather and timing because we wrapped principal photography a month before the pandemic right. really hit and everything got shut down. So if I had waited until it was a little bit warmer to film, we would have been screwed. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, so you're still in the process of post-production at this point? I am, yes. We're, we're getting ready to move into the final stage of post-production. And my plan as of now is to have the online premiere for the movie in November and then get a distribution deal so we could get it out to a wider audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's exciting. I'm really anxious to see this myself. Um, where, so 
you said there was an online premiere and in, 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 have you worked out the details in November where that's going to be, how people can check it out? Uh, not yet, but I'm still, I want to get closer to when we have the movie officially done because, you know, I could be very, uh, the one, one flaw that I will absolutely admit to is that I could be very overly ambitious with the time frame I expect to get things done and it's like and like oh yeah I'll have it done in a couple of weeks and then a couple of weeks later people are like well is it done yet and I'm like oh did I say weeks I meant months <laughs> well well it's 2020 movies are postponing uh, later and later so you're in good company uh so- that's true yeah well, I, I always like to say oh it's been postponed because of the virus and i'm like well it's actually postponed because i i thought we would have it done a couple months earlier but absolutely uh, there you go well it's very exciting i know that uh you've got um a uh you know a facebook group page a facebook page fang the movie uh we'll definitely have uh, links to our show note in our show notes to that site so people can check it out is there any other place that they should go online to uh see you in your work well i do plan on uh, getting a website but I have so many different projects going on at the moment that's kind of been pushed back a little bit. But in the near future, I will have a website. And I also have my own personal Facebook page, too, which is just Richard Bergen. And that's where you can kind of get to know my more playful personal side (laughs) when I'm not uh, making movies. Awesome. That is awesome. Well, speaking, well of his, speaking of his playful side, Mike, I, I think it's time to put that playfulness to the test. Oh, you think the boy's ready for the geek seat? Well, well I think I might be ready. Okay. He well, sounds confident. I, I, you know, many people sound confident, but this man actually turned somebody into a rat. So I think he is ready for this. So are you ready, Richard? I'm Pierce? ready. All right, man. All righty, let's what do this. Your, what was your favorite geek out moment? I think my favorite, let's, uh, well, it's always like, I'm, I'm always one of those guys where I have to take a minute to think of my favorite, my absolute favorite of anything, because, uh, you know, I always have to kind of go back and analyze things that I realize, well, I'm getting a little over the top with the analyzing here. But I think my favorite geek out moment is when I kind of discovered, like, my first horror discussion group on the internet. Because it's like, you know, that's when I finally found people were kind of willing to discuss all these intricacies of different movies that I really enjoyed that I hadn't met anybody like that, you know, like in in my group of friends in real life. So I would say that was probably my first geek out moment. And then over time, you know, I kind of, you know, it got a little bit more familiar for me. But that was that would say that was my favorite is what I discovered. Oh, wow. There are people on the internet who are obsessed with this stuff, too. Oh, yeah. You found your tribe, as we like to say. That's right. That is awesome, man. What was your most disappointing geek out moment, though? I would say my most disappointing was, and that might even be a trickier question, but... Well, probably my most disappointing geek out moment was when, you know, I finished my first screenplay. I sent it out to get feedback and I'm thinking, you know, people are going to think this is brilliant. And they pointed out a number of flaws that 
in retrospect, I see it was very accurate. So uh, that was kind of, you know, but that's always when you're a writer, you know, you have to get through that. But I think what I geek out about more than anything else is my own work, which is probably, it's probably a good thing because that's my job. Well, of course. No, that totally makes sense. What geeks you out the most though? I think I probably I probably geek out the most about movies. I have a very you know, I get sometimes I get kind of absorbed by, you know, learning more about different periods of film history and kind of or I get obsessed with a certain show and then you know, I want to know everything about it. You know, I'm a very obsessive guy or I get obsessed with the director or an actor or a writer and then I just do like intensive research and I would say I, I kind of go down those rabbit holes and I get a little distracted sometimes when I go back to my main target of you know well you know I'm focusing on what I'm working on oh no that totally makes sense you know that's the great thing you 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 have such a focus and then you basically are just like Oh, there's other things too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have like what's called hyper focus. So I'm like the opposite of ADD. I, I, I only focus intensely mm-hmm. on things instead of being like easily distracted. So like when I get distracted, I get distracted for hours or days. And then I come back to what I was focused on before. So it's very... I'm I'm just, you know, you know, you always have to accept your nature and work with what your brain is wired to do. No, that totally makes sense. What turns your geek off? I think, you know, as much as I love to, you know, dive in deep and, you know, really analyze things and find out more information, I would say what turns me off is when people go, a little overboard with finding, you know, meaning in something when it isn't really there. You know, like I think sometimes people could maybe be a little bit too obsessive about the wrong things. And that I guess is, is a turnoff for me. Oh yeah. That I totally see. That's pretty darn awesome, man. Oh, thank you very much. Oh dude, you're doing awesome. You ready for the next one? I'm ready. Okay, what fictional character would you like to meet the most? Hmm. Now there are now it's funny because you know a lot of the stuff that I really like to watch, you know, they have characters that I wouldn't want to hang out with because they're psychos. But I would say That's, that out of yeah. yeah. You probably would have a ton of fun with them. You just have to watch your back. That's true. Yeah. No, yeah. I can think of a number of characters that would be fun to, you know, like, that would be fun to kind of pick their brain a little bit and kind of see a different side of them. But then it'd have to be heavily armed at all times. So. <laughs> no, I totally understand. For my that. own personal <laughs> security. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. What fictional character would you not like to meet? That kind of fits into what we were just talking about. (laughs) I think that uh, the fictional character that I would not like to meet, I just, well, the first thing that popped into my head 
would be either Tuco from Breaking Bad or Michael Myers from Halloween. I think either of them would be very uh, dangerous. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I don't. I don't know which one is worse. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, I think that would, be a, that would be a hell of a fight. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely not. I think you got it right on the button there, man. <laughs> what fictional? What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Hmm, that is. I, I think probably the word that I use the most is obsess. Like you're obsessed with something. It's an obsession. I use the word obsession way more than most people do. I think. <laughs> that is awesome. That is. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I'm an obsessive guy. I think a lot of people who join us here on the show are, fits into that category. That's I think good. The two ho- I think the two hosts here on that show kind of fit into that category. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, what is your ideal obsessive obsessive uh group of people oh it's the best way to be come on it's awesome yeah yeah you got to dive in deep you know just just go way beyond the surface of, oh, of course being obsessed mm-hmm. <laughs> i obsess with that answer no. <laughs> what, what is your ideal geek occupation well, I think I'm doing it right now. I'm making movies. Yes. Hey, that is awesome, dude. That is, a, you're living the dream, which is awesome. Well, thank and you. It, it doesn't always feel you. that way, but then I got to pitch myself. I got to say, hey, Richard, wake up. You're living the dream here. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, people dream of doing what you're doing and you're doing it, man. You are doing it, which is awesome. Well, I'm, I'm really happy you feel that way, and it's always it's always a good thing to remind yourself of. You know, because sometimes, you know, I mean, making a movie is really it's a massive undertaking. You know, you you know, people don't always realize when they, what they're getting into when they start this. But then, you know, sometimes you know when I feel stuck or when I feel overwhelmed, I like to look back and I realize, you know, how far I've come. Like five years ago, I was not anywhere near where I am now. And I still have some ways to go, but I've come a long ways, a long, long ways from from where I used to be. Excellent. And that's awesome. That is awesome. that you could, And it's great that you could say that, you know, not a lot of people could say that. Some people are just stuck in a rut. You have surpassed that, sir. You are living the dream. What geek occupation would you not like to do? I think what would probably be the hardest for me is like working on some kind of film crew or special effects job. Like I really admire the people who can do that well, but I have no idea how all that stuff works. I would be kind of lost. Did you have No, that's of, awesome. Do you have a lot of special effects in this movie? Is it is it a lot of CG or is it mostly practical? We we did all practical effects. Nice. We didn't have the budget for CGI. Plus, I think the practical effects they usually look cooler to me anyway. Yes. Yes. The CGI, even when it's really good CGI, it doesn't quite look as real because it's not really happening on camera in the scene with everything else. Excellent, excellent. That's good to hear. Old school. 
Oh, yeah, that's how I roll, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Richard, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? I'm ready. All right, this is for all the marbles now. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Well, I think my ultimate geek fantasy is having a, you know, really loyal, dedicated cult following to my work as a director and just being kind of revered as an icon of kind of these weird, low-budget, independent films. And then, of course, you know, going to different conventions and film festivals and having, you know, my fans there, you know, and having all these different women who were dying to meet me. And, you know, that maybe that maybe I got a little bit too personal here, but that would be my ultimate. <laughs> you know what? This Being is your segment. See. It could be whatever you want it to be, Sarah. That's, That's the great true. thing. That is true. That's the dream. That is the dream. Well, Richard, I've got some great news for you, my friend. You've made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $86.90. All righty. That's cool. (laughs) I'll take that. $86. (laughs) Well, anything to help with that that. movie. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, as we like to say, it is it is station currency. As you get closer to the Earth, it it, it really decreases in value. Uh, so, so. Uh, well, when so, I get when I get launched uh, into space, which is one of my uh, life goals down the line, I'll keep that in mind. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, it's been really fun having you with us, uh, especially like I said for our, our countdown to Halloween. Um, we're counting down for this movie. Fang is what it's called. Fang the movie, and like you said, it's going to be hopefully, fingers crossed, right out in next month. That's right. Yeah. No, we're even though post production's taken a little bit longer than I originally thought, we're making great progress. I love everything I've seen of the movie and editing. You know, every time I sit down to watch it, it's mesmerizing. And, you know, I, I get sucked in and I think people are really going to respond to it. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely have a link in our show notes to the Facebook page so people can keep an eye on the when it's out. And once it's out, our like when you know, let us know once it's out so we can let everybody know on the show, too. I certainly will. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know as soon as it's ready. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us and, and happy Halloween, sir. Well, thank you. I hope you guys have a a great Halloween and a great rest of October. Thank you, Richard. We appreciate it. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with the main topic. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I found an interesting tidbit in this weekend's box office tallies from movie theaters in that a re-release actually ended up towards the top of the box office, and that is the Halloween cult classic Hocus Pocus. 
I actually saw Hocus Pocus for the first time a couple years ago and absolutely fell in love with this movie. It's campy, it's silly, it's funny, and I mean, who doesn't love watching the antics of that beloved trio of witches, the Sanderson sisters? And hearing about Hocus Pocus doing well in its re-release got me to thinking about what are my favorite Halloween movies and what are some fun things to watch to get in the spirit of the season. So, since there aren't a lot of new movies coming out in theaters thanks to COVID, I thought I'd take my October blurbs for Box Office Buzz as a chance to highlight some of my favorite Halloween movies. In honor of Hocus Pocus, this week I'm going to focus on some more fun, family-friendly movies, and then we'll work our way up to scarier stuff in future blurbs. So since I already brought up Hocus Pocus, if you haven't seen it yet, it's super entertaining. It's great to watch with the family. Highly recommend it. Another Halloween movie that I enjoy is, of course, Ghostbusters. You can't have a Halloween movie marathon without Ghostbusters. It's hilarious. It's a classic. And who doesn't love the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man? Another not-so-scary Halloween family movie that I like is Monsters, Inc. Now, you know what? Maybe technically it's not a Halloween movie, but it's got cute little monsters trying to scare people. And so I think it's fun. I always include it in my not-so-scary Halloween list. And a beloved classic is The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I really love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. That one gets a lot of attention, but I think the Halloween one is great too. And finally, I also like the zombie film Warm Bodies, which is also kind of a zombie romantic comedy. Sounds weird, but it's actually nice and heartwarming, charming, so... Nice little zombie-themed movie that is not going to be super scary. And that's it for my box office buzz this week. Be sure to tune in next week. I'm going to be talking about some of my favorite Halloween comedies. Hey, weird podcast people. Join us every week on the Flopcast for a half hour or so of silly conversation about comics, music, Saturday morning cartoons, old movies and TV shows, and chickens. It'll be our little secret. Find us at flopcast.net and on the ESO network. Howdy, everyone. Earth Station One is proud to provide the following interview as part of Virtual Monsterama 2020. Uh, this year's virtual event is a fundraiser for the Motion Picture and Television Fund. MPTF supports our entertainment industry uh, in living and aging well, with dignity and purpose, and in helping each other in times of need. If you love movies and the people who make them, please donate. All you have to do is go to the official Monsterama site, the official Monsterama page on, on Facebook, and, and click the link and, and click to donate. Uh, we really do appreciate it. 
Uh, I am Mike Gordon, and with me is Director Mike Faber of the ESO. Howdy. Uh, the award. <laughs> Howdy, sir. Uh, we also have with us the award-winning artist, Mark Maddox. Hey, good to be here, guys. Hey, hey sir. Thank you so much. And we are thrilled to be talking today with David J. Scal about his new book for Turner Classic Movies, Fright Favorites. That's the book. <laughs> That's the book. Woo! It's a great book. So, uh, David, I guess we'll get right into it. Tell me how this book came about. How how did it get started? Well, usually I approach uh, a publisher with a you know proposal. In this case, uh, Turner Classic Movies approached me through uh, Running Press uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, they had had a lot of success with a book on Christmas themed movies, and uh, it did so well. They said, "Well, let's uh, the next you know." most popular holiday down the down the road is uh, is is halloween and i uh said yeah this sounds interesting let's talk about it and we had some back and forth and uh the other book was about movies that featured christmas you know as part of the part of the story right and, uh that wasn't going to work we quickly realized that that if we tried to approach halloween that way the carpenter franchise would you know, just smother everything right. and uh, not, not that it shouldn't, uh, you know, get, get a lot of attention, but it would really um, uh, kind of capsize the, any kind of balance. And there weren't all that many uh, films, especially good films that plenty that, you know, featured jack-o'-lanterns somewhere in the background. Uh, but we didn't want to go that way. So we said, what about if it's uh, movies appropriate for Halloween? The original title was Halloween Favorites. Mm-hmm. And um, so that made sense. And it also made marketing sense because you have a longer shelf life if something is not, uh, you know, uh, completely linked to Halloween. And um, so we started talking about, uh, you know, the films. I had the idea of doing a kind of a countdown book. You know, 31 is kind of a magic number for October. And n- nobody had done anything with it before. Um the you know the thirty one days of Halloween kind of thing, so everyone liked that, and so the, t- uh, the subtitle became thirty one uh, movies to haunt your Halloween and beyond, um, and uh, then we had to choose what we were going to do for the thirty one films, and as you can imagine, uh, lots of people at Turner have I have know a lot about film. They're very knowledgeable people, and running presses done a lot of film books. And so um, I had to uh, deftly negotiate, you know, some compromises here. But the biggest compromise was we, we just can't do it with 31 films. Yeah. You know, there was maybe a time uh, back when I started uh, getting interested in, in horror movies decades ago that you could, you know, reasonably reflect in the entire genre in a, uh, in a, in a volume of a few hundred pages. Not anymore. I mean, it has just become so vast. There are so many subgenres, so many different types of, of, of horror that the best we could do is uh, give, give a reasonable uh, selection, especially to people who aren't um, diehard fans who are approaching mm-hmm. it for the first time. I mean, I, I've been publishing books about horror movies for 30 years now. So there's a whole new potential audience for me because the uh, um, I, I, I teach uh, courses whenever I can. 
and uh, give guest lectures. And the students I talked to were too young to have uh, even remembered or, or hadn't even been born when, you know, the Francis Coppola Dracula was was released. Oh, wow. That's so that amazing. really it. Wow. Students out here. And so there's always uh, a new generation. And I've been, you know, I'm, I'm pretty... I've been pretty well received, you know, in, uh, in academic circles and my books are cited all, all over the place in the academic literature. And, uh, but the, uh, recruiting people to, uh, to our, uh, to become one of our kind, I, I dedicate the book to monster kids everywhere. You know who you are. And, uh, people seem to have really responded to, to that. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to recruit monster kids. And the, uh, this was fun because, you know, I, I did limited chapters, but I was able to talk about individual films for a much longer um, spread than I was able to in some of my big survey books, where mm-hmm. really after a, few, a paragraph or two, you know, you've, you've kind of done it and you have to move on to the next, you know, to the next subject. So I've always had lots of um, uh, unused research and anecdotes and, and was able to uh, uh, pull on that. And lots of, I have a huge photo collection, which I have barely uh, scraped the surface of and had some wonderful uh, access to uh, 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 private collections like the, uh, the Ronald Borst collection. He's one of the great, great collectors in, in this, in, in this field. And, uh, has been opening up his uh, his uh, photo files to me uh, ever since I started doing these books. So, uh, kind of a thirtieth anniversary with uh, you know with Ron too here, mm-hmm. and uh, and then of course the, uh, I had the wonderful privilege of being able to ransack the uh, Turner photo ar- archives. Oh wow, which yeah. are really amazing. And <laughs> So there are, I, one thing I just love, to, I love words and pictures, you know, uh, for, from the time, earliest, my earliest memories of books were dinosaur books. And I was fascinated by them. I must have, I was under 10 years old, but I knew that I wanted to, um, I wanted to make these things. I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to write the words and I wanted to draw the pictures. And so my books have been heavily, heavily uh, uh, picture dependent. Uh, and uh, and that's the way I like it. I mean, I, I think of my books as kind of like documentaries, you know, kind of captured in, in print. And, that's, a, uh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started actually writing documentaries, uh, I realized for the first time that indeed my, my pro style had been uh, very informed by all of the, uh, you know, nonfiction television that I'd grown up with. I, I just instantly fell into the rhythm of, even though I was doing it unconsciously, you know, there, there was, uh, there, there was narration, there was the talking head, there was, you know, the, uh, uh, the film clip, um, all in written form, but, um, that's what I was doing. I mean, I, I'm intensely visual, even when I'm just, just typing, so we, this was fun in, because sorry. we've got, we've, no, I, I hope we've come up with uh, some images. Uh, there are at least a few that you, you've never seen before. Absolutely. And, uh, 
some stunning prints of, of others that you haven't seen uh, in such good condition. Yeah, well, you mentioned in the, I think in the in the intro of the forward that, uh, you know, a lot of us monster kids grew up with sort of monster magazines. And so we're very much like, I think for all of us, we're sort of programmed, we want text, but we also want, we want cool stories, we want text, and we want pictures. <laughs> so, and this book like fits that bill perfectly. Well, thank you. Yeah, people, um, it, it is, it's beautifully designed and printed. I did not I've been involved um, in the um, in the layout and design of a lot of my books. Uh, this one, they were perfectly capable of handling it on themselves. I was happy to give it over to them because right. it really, I mean, all, already I spent half the time uh, dealing with photos and um, um, locating them, enhancing them, restoring them. I mean, there there was there's just incredible amount of uh, Photoshop that. Uh, went into this to take some hopeless uh, images and get them back into, into focus and sharpness and, and get rid of the, uh, the, uh, the wrinkles and the, and the tears and all that sort of thing that, and, and do it in such a way that you, you don't notice. Mm-hmm. That's the trickiest thing about, I I'm fascinated with, uh, uh, with, with, with Photoshop and um, what it can do, but it's all often used uh, uh use like a club and, and you don't, <laughs> and you don't believe what you're looking at, yeah. but the, I, I've always adored the, the special patina of, you know, classic uh, film stills and it's wonderful old silver nitrate prints, uh, the, um, or uh, silver gelatin prints as they were, they were called back then. And uh, you can't fake it. You know, a dupe is a dupe. And I, uh, you know, there were a dime a dozen and uh, looking for the originals, which, you know, they ought to be digitized. And I'm doing a lot of that because the uh, uh, photographs uh, are not a permanent medium. And um, none of the uh, the, uh, the original prints are going to exist uh, 100 years from now. But the uh, the special, you know, dyes they use in in um, uh, laser jet printing. Uh, can last for up to 200 years, they tell me. So uh, I'll be socking something away for, for future generation. <laughs> but which, which, which photos did, were revelations to you? Uh, well, um, I'd have to, you know, and I have to look it over and, and I, I'm trying to figure out once one's like really stood out for me, but um, overlooking one thing that, well, this one from cat people, like okay, I'll show this one, right? Oh, Isn't that lovely? That, yeah, that nice. is a beautiful publicity <laughs> photo. Um, and I will admit, until I read this book, Cat People was one of the movies that was missing from. I just had never seen it before. I had never seen the. Oh my God. Shame so, on you! So I know. Um, and <laughs> then unfortunately, I, I followed it up with uh, Curse of the Cat People. So, um, which I don't know is that in TCM's Christmas book? Because it should be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they, they didn't include that one, but uh, already, listen, I'm already thinking the, the book has got such a strong response so far that I really do hope there will be a, uh, uh, too, and got some strong ideas about exactly what I want to do with it. Um, in this one, you know, the 31 films weren't enough. So we, uh, my, you know, second big suggested compromises well what if we do a uh, if you enjoyed this you might also enjoy this and uh so we really do spotlight 62 films 
and um, I think I'd like to do a book that was actually nothing but uh, uh, double features, 31 oh, wow. features for October. So who knows? We'll see how the, uh, how the sales go, but uh, people do seem to be shut in and uh, shut in. And, and this time of year, I find that a lot of people love to watch horror movies. Like I, a lot of my friends are watching a horror movie a day or, you know, uh, you know, some a week um, just to sort of get in the spirit and the mood. And, and this perfect is a, this book is like a perfect accompaniment of that. Like, cause I, I usually make my list um, and I love for, uh, for, I love TCM this time of year. They do a great job with showing probably better than any other network I can think of. Uh, they show like a lot of classic horror movies and, uh, and so, but they're always ones that I'm missing. Right. So I always make a list and usually I have a theme, but this year you provided my theme. Cause I just went through it and I went, okay, which one of these movies haven't I seen? And then uh, as far as, and it's, you're right. It's not just 31 movies. Cause then you do, you know, sort of the, I guess we're all sort of accustomed to it with Netflix and Amazon. Like you might also like these, right? So you do, <laughs> you do one of those. And then you also, you talk about sequels, remakes, the history, like a company film. So there's like, you're probably talking about like a hundred, 150 movies in here. Really? Exactly. So, I think, I think like around 120 are mentioned yeah. all together, but uh, even that just scratches the surface of this yes. absolutely bottomless, uh, uh, bottomless genre. It's a, it's a, it's a great book for to have this time of year. Um, and like I said, I, I helped make my list. It helped make my list. And I watched cat people the other night and, uh, and that was, that's an amazing movie. I, I don't, uh, yeah. Shame on me for not seeing it sooner. I hope I didn't spoil anything for no, you. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Um, actually when it got to the point where, cause you do go into detail in the plot. So sometimes when it was a movie that I didn't see, I kind of was like, Oh, I should probably skip the plot part of this. But, but you had probably <laughs> seen the remake, right? Um, oh, for Captain Yeah. Film? Yes, I did. So see you kind of got at least chunks of what the first film was going to be. Yeah. Sans the, the nudity the, and the gore. <laughs> I saw the Kinski version. Uh, yeah, yes. for sure. So, yeah, that's a bit of a spoiler, too, for the original. To a degree. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I was uh, really surprised. And, and it's a, it is a great movie. And a lot of these, yeah. I mean, the ones that I've seen, uh, I would, you know. I, I mean, it must have been difficult to narrow it down. That's all I, that's all I could say. Like, I'm like, wow, you had, to, you had to choose like one movie from this period and one movie from this period. But the one thing I also appreciate is you don't just talk about the movies. You talk about how they're reflecting on what was happening at the time or, you know, what it, they're not just on the, on the surface level, they're all horror movies and they all have their plots. But underneath, with these great movies, there's always something else going on. Uh, and it's always telling us something else about the filmmakers, the time period. Um, and that's, that's really interesting as well. Yeah, that was, that's kind of been the through line of most of my, uh, my, my books on, on uh, the horror genre. Uh, that horror entertainment, scary movies and scary novels are um, set in motion by truly frightening things in the real world that we don't like to look at too directly. And uh, so somehow we process it through, uh, uh, through all the, the, the tropes and traditions of, uh, of monster movies. And uh, the first big, uh, you know, trauma of the 20th century was world war one. And, uh, you know, followed by the, uh, the, uh, uh, the great depression. And 
then World War II and the Cold War and and uh, 50s paranoia and then the sexual revolution and then the AIDS epidemic and just big cataclysms um, in the culture um, have to be reckoned with in some ways. The, you know, the Europeans really knew this from the get-go and the prototype horror movies like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh, Nosferatu were, uh, they weren't Saturday matinee uh, entertainment. They were, they were art films. They were uh, message films and they had powerful things to say about uh, uh, the war just passed. Uh, Caligari is kind of a, it's a metaphor about this uh, crazed authoritarian figure, Dr. Caligari, who sends forth uh, um, a sleepwalker as if uh, he is a hypnotized soldier to kill and be killed. And, and what is, and that's very much what a lot of people uh, felt and just, just happened in, uh, in, in Europe and especially in Germany. And uh, Nosferatu was another German film and uh, the filmmakers intended it to be a metaphor for the war itself, the vampire as a metaphor uh, that had destroyed uh, Europe and, uh, you know, uh, had, uh, drain the life blood, and it was in addition to the war. Uh, you know, Nosferatu represents uh, the the Spanish flu epidemic, something everybody's been talking about um, recently, um, which was a kind of a plague. And Nosferatu, the vampire, brings a plague with him to uh, uh, to uh, Bremen Downey. Uh, invades and uh so america you know was interested in entertainment and and uh, not really interested in the supernatural and for you know decades in america there were scary stories and scary characters but no supernatural monsters no vampires no werewolves no ghosts uh and if something spooky happened it was always supposed to be explained away you know, as uh, some kind of a criminal plot, uh, uh, embezzling somebody's inheritance or uh, <laughs> committing some other kind of crime, and everything would be made right and explained, and you could go happily off to bed at the end. Um, and uh, when it came time for the studios to start considering scary stories for the talkie era, Dracula was the first property that presented itself and uh universal had been thinking about it as early as 1915 there were some copyright issues with it stoker didn't uh properly register the american copyright and um and this this wasn't a big uh, public secret but people in the business knew about this and uh, so studios passed then in 1920, Universal announced that um, it was likely to produce Dracula as the next picture for an up-and-coming director named Todd Browning, who had just been very successfully paired with an up-and-coming actor named Lon Chaney. And uh, so a lot of the stories about uh, Chaney's possible interest you know, in Dracula go back uh, at least 10 years before the the, uh, uh, the film came out, but uh, 
all the studios looked at it. It made a lot of money as a stage play, but would the movie going public buy it? Because they've never been asked to buy anything, you know, like this. Uh, this was not a, uh, uh, this was not a master criminal trying to uh, pull off a heist. This was a, this was a 500 year old corpse that got up and bit your neck. And, uh, it's so uh, silly when and, you put it that way. And uh, there, the uh, and they had some fun with it, uh, both the, the play and the movie. In, in the original release, Doctor Van Helsing uh, uh, comes out and uh, holds his hand up to the audience and and starts to reassure them. Uh, you know, before you go home at night and you uh, shudder, you know, behind beneath your your uh, your blankets and you're afraid to see the. Uh, face at the window, well, just pull yourself together and remind yourself there are such things. And that helped. That was cut. That was sadly (laughs) out of the film. Uh, I did a little reconstruction of it with some of the missing, uh, the scraps of footage that were there in uh, the documentary I did for the uh, Universal Dracula release. But uh, that was the dilemma. And uh, they had wanted Lon Chaney to do it. Uh, Lon Chaney had such a tumultuous relationship with Universal, you know, by uh, the late 20s that I doubt that he would even uh, uh, have considered it. But that didn't stop the studios from talking to each other, the studio lawyers. and They did pass back and forth all kinds of uh, pitches and things, uh, uh, you know, for a Chaney uh, loan out maybe for more than, than just Dracula. And it's not clear that Cheney ever even saw these, the, these offers, much less... Uh, it, the, the thing you hear all the time is that Cheney was slated to play Dracula. Not exactly. There were people who really wanted him to play Dracula. Mm-hmm. But uh, he... The biggest kept secret in Hollywood was that uh, Cheney was dying of cancer. And um, I found it kind of amazing when I you know, got into some of the negotiation files that that uh, nobody seemed to be aware of this. And you just look at the dates on the, the memos and the letters and, uh, um, and people were shocked. The world was shocked. Cheney was really one of the biggest bankable, most famous people in the world. I mean, he, he he was, uh, he was right up there with, uh, as an iconic, uh, celebrity with, uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin and Valentino. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when Universal released the film they, uh, with Lugosi, they kept, uh, at least for, for a while, some of the early advertisements uh, referred to him as Bela Lugosi, the new Lon Chaney. And uh, then they did that again with Karloff and Frankenstein. There are, there are ads you can uh, go back and look at that say, you know, Boris Karloff, the new Lon Chaney. And neither of them were. I mean, they're, they're, they were actors of uh, their own... Um, unique and estimable, uh, you know, talents. But uh, my favorite ad for Dracula uh, was the one, I think it was in, in uh, a Vancouver paper where, you know, this was not going to be one of those drawing room mystery melodramas where everything gets explained. And so across the bottom of the, uh, the ad, you know, no detectives, no trap doors. Uh-huh. was... <laughs> that was just great. That, that that sums it up. That was just kind of it. And the public did not get trapdoors or or uh, 
you know, half-hearted explanations. And I think it had to do with the time. 1931 was the worst year of the Great Depression. And there were no social safety nets and a lot of kind of free-floating fear and anxiety. Um, people did feel like the bottom was falling out of the world. And um, it's... <laughs> it, it, um, imagine this, you know, times times four. Yeah. Um, it it uh, truly, because things like uh, social safety nets have, hadn't even been... Um, conceptualized much much less exist and it was a it was a terrible time and i think these monster characters and there were so many of these key films that came came out or were produced in 1931 uh dracula frankenstein dr jekyll and mr hyde and freaks and and, um, and my I, mother my mother was born in 31 so i i tell her that and she tells me to shut up <laughs> you came out the same year as dracula and frankenstein and then she says shut up would you? But you couldn't ask her. She didn't remember them. She was like my students. She uh, she did say one thing. You said uh, recently. I heard you say that uh, the one the film that started you off like oh my god. And it's funny because it's the same thing with me as Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was six years old, and it made a powerful effect. I mean, I there are frames of that film that are, are just burned into my brain to this sure. day. My mother talks about, about being in line with a long line. She goes, forget the you know, issue Star Wars, James Bond, Goldfinger, long lines, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, long line, like a really long line. And that was the movie. I didn't see the film, but I walked into the bookstore and saw the Ron Cobb cover of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman issue 42 of famous monsters. And I lost my mind. I lost my, that was the moment I became a monster kid. The moment. So that is, I think, uh, I had, um, I guess, previously discovered the um, uh, Forey Ackerman had a black and white photo of the original art for that. Uh, I don't know who the artist was, mm. but it was this this marvelously uh, evocative, uh, you know, the, the the battle of the century, the clash of the titans. Sure. And uh, the studio used it to, uh, or the theaters used it to sell war bonds. Mm -hmm. They made it a... Uh, um, you know, it helped the war effort by by uh, coming out and deciding what monster you wanted to root for. Uh -huh. They didn't tell you was uh, yeah, <laughs> which side was which. Um, but uh, well, I mean, it Larry, almost looks like Larry a boxing poster. I mean, he's sort of like like this. You know, Frankenstein's got his fist raised, and the werewolf's there with the claws, and more of a muzzle, if I remember correctly. There's 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 a wonderful. Uh, there's an exaggeration of the of of the forms that is it's painterly. It's it reminds you of things that you know El Greco did or, or something. I mean, it's it's a wonderful painting. Yeah, and I wonder nice. if it was probably uh, Universal's uh, art department. Uh, no, actually, it wouldn't have been lost in a flood. Because all of their publicity and what, promo was done on isn't the that, Isn't that ironic that it would be lost in the flood like the end of the movie? <laughs> That's it. It, it floated it, away. It, <laughs> when the it, couldn't have, it couldn't have been. All those, those, those uh, uh, Morgan Litho, the printer who did those, right. those fantastic stone Litho uh, posters, uh, was based in Cleveland, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that until, until very recently. And, uh, but, uh, no, uh, Universal had its, uh, main offices in, in New York 
and uh, all the publicity and uh, distribution and things like that were, were handled out of, uh, you know, on Fifth Avenue. And uh, that's where all of this stuff would have gone. And of course, you know, it was probably all just tossed out because yeah. nobody saw it purpose for it and yeah there were no monster collectors <laughs> it's like all those pulp covers that were done in oils that were beautiful over those decades and they all like 80 percent of them 90 percent of them were tossed in the trash you know yeah that the the frankenstein meets the wolfman painting is is right up there with just that classic uh uh like, like noir uh, uh paintings those, those artists who did the magazine covers and the paperbacks and the pinup girls and they're, they're all of a continuum. It's, it's this, it, it was this extraordinary visual period in, uh, in, uh, in, in publishing and promotion that uh, we've never, you know, photographs kind of uh, bumped everything out, mm-hmm. out of the way. And you, you don't see too many painterly uh, movie posters anymore. I've got, a, I've got a question for you. You're on a desert Island. You've got a magic VCR and a magic TV set. You're only allowed one film for the rest of your life. You're never going to get rescued. You got one film from now on. What is it? Can it be a special request? It can be. Well, I don't know what a special request. Well, okay. No. Yeah. I think you've given it to me. Uh, <laughs> people ask me all the time, what is your favorite, uh, you know, uh, version of. Uh, and no, mine's a nightmare say, scenario. You don't get another film. You get one and that's it. <laughs> No, I, I get it, it is one film. I don't know who's going to put it together, but it is a uh, it is a mashup compilation of all the great moments from all the versions of Dracula ever done, uh, including, you know, uh, an actor from one film delivering a line of dialogue and being answered by somebody else. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> frenetic, that would be so wonderful. Uh, I, my uh, video editing skills are extremely rudimentary, so I'm not going to be the one to handle that i'd be happy to kibitz if anybody out there wants to take this on i mean can you imagine having you know lucy not just uh destroyed with a wooden stake but 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 staked like 20 times in a row yeah oh really i mean i I, when peter cushing hits that final time in the first of their dracula films i take the knob on the stereo and i go and it goes i mean it sounds like a tree being split and everybody in the room busts out (laughs) laughing another thing too one of my favorite things to use especially lately in our modern times is to use Laurence olivier's line if i could send his soul to everlasting burning hell i would you know but uh yeah i mean I'm, i'm now you've got me doing this now I'm like, okay, yeah, so and so will answer from from whatever. Renfield's going to be talking to uh, to uh, Anthony Hopkins here in a second, you know, uh, Dwight Fry. Yeah. So there are some, there are a lot of laugh lines you could create with with these effects, but um, I think I'd have to consult with a number of different uh, my, my favorite uh, video editors who uh, would know what to do. There, but, there are um, two things I don't mean. I mean, there's two things I wanted to tell you about. One of them was. You had said before that the word Nosferatu, that you had looked it up for like its origin or the dictionary definition or something to along those lines. It's, uh, forgive me, I'm a little vague on it. But the fact that it must, it had some resonance. Uh, years ago when I was in art school, there was a, a, a German lady that was in our art class. And I went over to her and I just, just for giggles, I said, hey, uh, what do you think when I say the word 
Nosferatu. And a couple of my friends that knew I was a monster movie fan were standing there too with snares on their faces. And I swear she did this. She gritted her teeth. Her skin got completely covered with goosebumps. And she hated horror films. I knew that about her. And she went, ugh. And I said, what? And she goes, it means not alive. And I said, oh, my God, it's like I met one of the people in the village that's telling you not to go to the castle. (laughs) You know, I mean, she exactly. But this woman had nothing to do with horror films. She hated them. But I asked her, and that's what she said. She goes, it means not alive. And I was like, well, in in her world, it it definitely had taken some form to where even the people that weren't into horror films. uh, That's that's, it's fascinating because the – uh, she didn't say not dead. No, she said not alive. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the word uh, undead does mean um, it, it goes back to Middle English, and it uh, has the meaning of um, um, not dead, meaning undead, not. Meaning some something still alive. Yeah, it, it was. Just but in a way, of, the but but in a way, it's like <laughs> not dead is sort of like, okay, it's moving around. It's not dead. It, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So it, it didn't have a, it didn't have a spooky connotation. Yeah. It, uh, so Stoker's use of it was you know very uh, uh, unique. Nosferatu though, it's it's ex, it's an extraordinary puzzle even 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 yet because. Uh, it does not exist in the Romanian language, mm-hmm. where it's always been. Um, I mean, the story has been it's a Romanian word meaning meaning um, not dead or um, or vampire, and it is not the Romanian word for vampire is vampir, mm-hmm. and so the word it just doesn't exist in Romanian uh, dictionaries or lexicons or books of folklore. Uh, it was a Scottish uh, a folklorist named uh, Emily Gerard, who was married to a, uh, a Romanian uh, military man and spent some time in Transylvania. And she wrote a, a book called uh, The Land Behind the Forest, Beyond the Forest. And uh, that is where she um, just puts forth authoritatively that uh, the, the word Nosferatu uh, uh, meant vampire. And uh, Stoker read that, and he didn't have any reason to to doubt her. But when you dig into it, it just gets more and more tenuous. Um, the uh, The word appears in some German sources, but it's it's not in any German uh, uh, lexicons or dictionaries. There were some German folklorists who used it, and uh, it was also the alternate for it was uh, not Nosferatu, but uh, Nosferat, mm-hmm. and um, and it just gets to be kind of a, a merry-go-round. I wondered if uh, you know uh, Emily Gerard as a uh, non-Romanian native speaker um, mistranscribed something or, or 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 misheard something because there is I there is a word that. in Romanian uh, nesuferit that means. Uh, plaguesome or uh, okay. um, uh, something it's got a very negative connotation to it as an adjective and following you know uh, the way Romanian works you know adding the, the U at the end uh, personalizes it 
So uh, Nosferatu would be the the plaguesome one, the uh, 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 the, the one to be shunned. Uh, interesting. And yeah. that's about as far as I've been able to get with it. Yeah. Um, that, that's an interesting story you tell, though. And I, the answer is probably somewhere in, in Germany. There are a couple of German sources that have been found pre uh, Stoker and pre uh, uh, pre Girard, but uh, it's it's fairly obscure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's here's another one I wanted to tell you. As a little kid, I saw Dracula for the first time. And this is, I swear this is not my imagination. The first time I saw it, you're going to go, Mark, you're wrong. You're full of crap. You're going to reach through the monitor and smack me in the face. You know this is going out to a con, dude. Yeah. It's, got a, it's a new app on the phone. <laughs> it, it's the William Castle effect. <laughs> we'll see. The, the the maid is standing there. Renfield looks at her, and he starts going. <laughs> she gets her eyes roll around, and she falls on the ground. And he crawls toward her, and in the end, he gets up to her face, and the fly is swirling around, lands on her face, and then take. And he kind of. Like he was going for that, and then it ended. That's what I remember. Now, I saw it again. I don't remember if it was like five, six, seven years later. And I I saw it again, and I said, where's that part? Why was that cut? Now, I know you're looking through the monitor going, this idiot doesn't know what he's Mm -hmm. talking about. But it just seems like that was – No, that's exactly how it was scripted. So it was was a fly on the face? Or a yeah, well, it was he's in the Spanish version. They they did the entire script, so you can see all the things that were uh, okay uh, cut out. And Renfield comes over to the maid, and he reaches up his hand. Yeah, and as he's going for her, it's obvious that he is going for for a fly, and it gets away. And okay, I it. and it's funny. I feel bad about this because I've seen the Spanish version probably about three or four times, but I remember that from way back when I was a little kid, and I'm like. I mean, I was so like, wow, what happened to that? And, and, and there's no cuts of it. There, it. Was it not filmed? Was it cut? Was it, was it never even shot? Your, your brain it's not, that, yeah. it's not in the original um, continuity, Yeah, <laughs> but that, I mean, they, they did, they, they cut all kinds of things out of uh, the Browning film, about 15 minutes worth. <laughs> Maybe of my that. brain just filled it in. Maybe no, I knew what no, was going on. Than that, because there were um, <laughs> prints of the uh, the curtain speech with uh, Edward Van Sloan right. telling people, you know, there are such things that uh, that were around until fairly until fairly late. People did. I, I talked to numerous people who, you know, uh, saw them uh, after 1938. Uh-huh. So there were prints. Uh, laying around hmm. i don't know why there would be a uh, an odd print of uh with the rest of that scene in there yeah or, and why but it would have been probably uh, an anomalous print uh like a work yeah. print that hadn't been i i don't know it could the, be uh, it could just be my brain was smart. maybe maybe when i saw him, i mean i know what he thought about spiders and flies maybe when he crawled over i said that's what he's going for and then but the next time i saw it i was like disappointed because i thought i you know your brain kind of does some of that sometimes with film well 
you you saw some interesting uh, um, very film, and they, they do exist. I'm and writing a book they, now, uh, the new and improved Hollywood Gothic. <laughs> Please, I'm happy to hand over uh, the reins. No, 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 thank you. I'm going to say this right now before this show ends. I know we only got ten more minutes. You are to 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 horror films and horror what David McCullough is to American history to me. I I find your oh yeah. I mean, thank you. I mean, my, I, I was talking to my mom about I'm going to be on the show with David Scal, and she goes, "Well, what does that mean?" I said, "There's going to be some serious fanny kissing is from on my part on this show <laughs> because he is my single favorite living writer." So. Uh, it's, you know, it's great that you're on here. I mean, I'm just, well, I'll, I'll re I'll return the favor. I cannot tell you how, uh, uh, how much I think of your, your, your work. You are, <laughs> you, you kept these, these characters and these films with such photorealistic detail. Uh, nobody does it like you. And it's, uh, Harley Simon's going to start singing. So no, you, you, <laughs> You're you're my, you're my flat favorite, and my three dimensional favorite is is Mike Hill. Oh, Mike Hill. Uh, yeah, he is unbelievable. You're two of my favorite people. I used to I used to paint. Uh, I I almost went to art school. Okay, and I painted lots of monster pictures when I was in in uh, junior high school and high school. Yeah. And I sent Corey Ackerman, and and none of them were ever uh, um, ever ever appeared in print. But they're sold. Although they're sold of, now for big bucks. They've, some have worked their way into certain people's collections, and I have a few, you know, uh, tucked away that I'm never going to frame or hang in. So I might want to uh, see what um, eBay has, if eBay has any interest in them. Uh -huh. um, but um, I want to see you, you've got, you've got a real gift. And how, where did that? Uh, how did you develop that photographic? It was uh, it was weird. I mean, I've been drawing since 1971, and I always felt that if you got the face right, everything else was easy. But I didn't like it when I saw portraits where the people didn't look right, and I would throw away or destroy anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I worked on that for I mean, how many years is are we talking about? Is that 50, 50 years now? Uh, and I really only started the monster movie artwork about 13 years ago at Richard Clemenson's Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, I was a, 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 mm -hmm. a, a corporate artist and stuff like that, but I decided I wanted more out of life. And in the evening, started you doing this that, is on a and panel, then it right? became the full time job. But um, but, uh, <laughs> but I I I don't just like to do the faces or anything. Like that. I if a scene is missing. Or something like I think I gave you a print of Dracula in the in the drawing room, you know, going, yes, you going like that. <laughs> yeah. I wanted that room. I didn't want the castle. I didn't want the water running down the walls, running down the bricks. So I literally watched the Dracula both versions and the Spanish one too, which actually had better shots of the sets, over and over and over again, and built the background from all the different, you know imagery and i wanted the, the the lady's portrait back there and and so i wanted to be like hey here's a missing publicity photograph you know what i'm saying like i want to yes, give i, I want to give something more because eventually even like with you f discovering this uh, the photo the uh the publicity photographs are finite and so oh here comes something new anyway i'm going to give you something <laughs> new you know and uh, i just showed the guys earlier a painting i'm working on uh that is taking me you know, just forever, ever to do. 
I'm going to show it to you real quick. Don't don't show Please. show this to anybody. This is my. This is on. Oh jeez. <laughs> ah, to hell with it. I'm doing a mysterious island uh, oh. crab sequence, and it's like I started at the Maple Town Theater in Maple Heights, Ohio. Uh, the first week it came out. <laughs> I I love that. I, that's my that is to me is so science fictiony and weird crabs are already science fiction just by their very nature and when i saw that as a little kid i just about had a heart attack i was so happy seeing that so uh and i did drawings you know little stick figures chasing this crab and all that stuff but uh all these years later but that that's a lot of work that's like oh no of course it is i the i my style was much more uh impressionistic and uh uh, although I'd love to be a, I love you know, impressionism. A impressionism is the way you well, learn color. Someday I'll show you uh, privately some of my my efforts, and you can. Uh, I'll go like this. Tell me where it's good. Wrong. It's really the. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, and so I'm. I'm just amazed at. Uh, but no, if I if I <laughs> if I knew you when uh, if you were in my neighborhood when uh, I was uh, a monster kid, I think I. Uh, have you locked up in my basement doing the mission for me? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really? You, <laughs> you no, I mean, stock- well, it's sort of like the whole Ray Harry. Don't you think it's amazing that Ray Harryhausen and Forey Ackerman and Ray Bradbury all kind of knew each other as very young people? And look at them. Look at they all achieved. They went off in separate directions, but they all achieved greatness but they were buddies as, as, as I don't know if they were children, but they were close to kids. I think, I think they were. Well, yeah. And and so did the, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the figure of sons and daughters of, uh, you know, Forey Ackerman and, and, and Bradbury, Um, you know, we were the the monster kid generation there. Look at the number of uh, major, major talents in Hollywood who got their start, their initial inspiration with, uh, these old universal monster movies. Yeah. And I mean, we, a lot of us made our own, you know, eight millimeter productions. I did. In the I've back. still got mine. They, yep. I did. And, and, uh, and some of us became Steven Spielberg, not all of us, <laughs> but, but uh, we were the first generation that took control of media. I think that's, that's, there, there was a big change. We, we weren't passive consumers. Yeah. We were very, uh, uh, manipulators of it, and uh, a lot of us have had just very interesting careers. In the, the, I mean, it's it's a it's a, a kind of an archetypal childhood that you uh, you run into people all the time in places you'd never expect, and and um, the subject of um, you know famous monsters comes up, and and the memories come you know come come pouring out, and it, uh, it really sure. bind. I agree the whole completely. Generation. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's really cool. I'm going to bring it back around, guys. Watch this, uh, and it's really, and and you and you and you capture that great feeling in this new book. So, uh, um, and uh, look, I'm glad we got could bring you two together. Um, so, and and Mike, if we if if we do want, you know, Maddie the match made in the basement. If we do want, if we'll we get, do want, get we'll get locked up in my basement. If we sometime. want Maddox to disappear for a while, we've got our man now. So hey. <laughs> Hey Mike, Mike, just go watch Cat People again. Just go watch. Just go watch Cat People again, okay? You I only know, saw it once. I'll be. I'll be. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I got a few of these more to uh, to watch this month as well. So, um, look, it's okay. it's been wonderful having you guys both on. Uh, appreciate it. And um, David, um, I know that the people can get the book at uh, Turner Classic Movies, their website. But I know that you are also offering um, a link to autograph copies. Correct. Yeah, the, usually at this time of the year, I'm traveling around the country, uh, autographing books and giving lectures and and uh, meeting people and face to face. That isn't happening this year, so I've designated uh, you know America's uh, number one horror emporium, Dark Delicacies in Burbank, California, and they are darkdel one l darkdel dot com, and I'm stopping in there weekly to sign people's uh, autograph. Uh, uh, requests and I, I've already broken several records. With I, I've been uh, signing books for 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 them for years and years and years, but uh, uh, there seems to have been a pent up demand, and I'm uh, I'm I'm up to nearly 150 copies wow. out of that one store, and that's I hope it's doing that well across the country. But uh, anyway, they will they will take care of it, and they are an independent bookstore. And that's very important. Yes. Uh, yes. A lot, a lot of uh, uh, people are just kind of walking the edge right now. And a lot, it's, it's like the, the whole cultural sector is being, being wiped out, you know, as a result of this, uh, this pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and may, uh, a lot of it's just going to go and not come back. Yeah. That includes bookstores, but theater companies and, and all kinds of other things that, uh, have been a central part of my life uh, since time immemorial. And uh, I, uh, the show must go on. Yes. The monster show. Well, uh, yes, so the monster show will definitely go on. Unfortunately, we're out of time here, but we will definitely have a link uh, in our show notes on the podcast for that. So people can go there. And speaking of helping out again, uh, as far as Monsterama goes, this year's virtual event is a fundraiser for the Motion Picture and Television Fund. MPTF supports our entertainment community in living and aging well with dignity and purpose and in helping each other in times of need. If you love movies and the people who make them like we do, please donate. And again, all you have to do is go to uh, Monsterama's website and click on the link and uh, donate to your heart's content. So uh Thank you, Mark. Thank you, David. Appreciate your time today. And it was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. I love being on here. It's great seeing David again, too. Absolutely. And hopefully we can all do this again in person sometime, sometime. Next, next year. <laughs> hopefully Any, next year. Uh, when, you, when you can't uh, locate Mr. Maddox, uh, maybe we can show him uh, uh, chained to an easel down in my garage. <laughs> We'll know somebody, to, somebody, call we'll, the we'll, cops. We'll know who to look for. <laughs> work, as Karloff said to Colin Klein, "Don't sleep. Work." <laughs> Thank you so much. That's the way it is. <laughs> cool. Okay. Here. Thank you. Take so care, much. David. Bye bye. We'll be right back to close out the show. everybody michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment and you know all the all the big media companies spend millions on pr every year but you never know what little 
little organic thing, what little blip is going to, to spawn a pop culture trend. Uh, there's a guy in Idaho named Nathan Apodaca who goes by at 420-dog-double-g-face-208 on TikTok. And he's got some trouble with his car. His battery wouldn't start, so he uh, hopped on his skateboard, rode into work, drinking from his big bottle of Ocean Spray Cran Raspberry, because that's his drink. Lip-synced to a little Fleetwood Mac rumors, took a selfie video. That selfie video got... 22 million views on Twitter and like 18 million on TikTok. Uh, fans are doing response videos. Mick Fleetwood did a response video. And it bumped that song, that 43-year-old song, back into the charts at number 29, ahead of new releases by Machine Gun Kelly and Zane and other people. Uh, sales are up 184%. Streams on Spotify are up 127% and 221% on Apple Music. So you never know. Fans chipped in and they uh, donated money for him. They raised more than 10 k uh, for him to fix his car. So he's using that to uh, fix his car, upgrade his RV that I think he lives in, and he's going to buy a little surprise for his mom. Aww. Um, I hope with some of the bank that Fleetwood Mac is getting from these sales that they give him a little money too. And last month Zendaya made history. She became the youngest ever Emmy winner for the Best Actress in a Drama and only the second black woman ever to win it. Um, she has been handpicked by Ronnie Spector to play her in an upcoming biopic based on Spector's autobiography called Be My Baby. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Jackie Siblis Drury will write the film's script. If you don't know who Ronnie Spector is, she was in a 60s girl group that did be my baby. They're called the Ronettes. She was married to a famous record producer named Phil Spector. And she's also the lady in the Eddie Money Take Me Home Tonight video, just like Ronnie says. And if you're even later than I was hearing that Google Play Music is folding and converting to YouTube Music. You still got a little bit of time, but not much to start converting your playlist. So you better get on that now. And yeah, yeah, YouTube Music. Yeah, they should really run a streaming service. That will not be obnoxious at all. YouTube, who puts three commercial breaks into a 15-minute video and they're... Uh, Sound quality is not exactly great. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, you can tell I'm not the biggest fan of YouTube right now. And this is why this old lady plays old school and doesn't stream. Something to be said for that. So, words for the wise, wrapping up this Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. We'll catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the DuckTales Halloween episode, The Trickening. 
So season three of DuckTales included a really fun Halloween episode where the triplets and Webby are planning their way to get the most candy while wearing their fun Halloween costumes. Thanks to Huey's junior woodchuck planning and mapping skills, he has planned the course to the most candy for that night. But the kids end up at a haunted house instead, where children have gone missing and so has their candy. This scheme to get all the candy at once ends up leading the kids into, the, into a house of monsters with a rather funny ending. The side story with Launchpad, Donald, Della, and Scrooge is also incredibly funny. It leads us to a story of Launchpad thinking that as a child, he opened a portal and let all these demons and monsters out for one day every year because he also visited the same haunted house that the kids are now at. But every Halloween, he has to fight off the monsters, later finding out that Halloween is actually a fun holiday and, well, he has been playing it wrong for many, many years and realizes just how awesome Halloween is because you get candy when you dress up. This episode was incredibly funny and lighthearted and really has that old school Halloween special vibe to it where most of us that grew up watching cartoons as kids on TV and were super excited for all the holiday specials watched. So this one just really had that feel to me. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank Mark Maddox for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, it's been too long, and I love seeing you. Dude, it's always great to see you. It's always great to have you part of the show. Anything you have going on that you want to shout out about? Um, things are going good. I've got uh, some new covers. I've got a new cover coming out for Infinity Magazine. Um, with a shout-out, I've got a shout-out for a, a, a friend of mine. If that's cool. Um, Of course. This is your time. My buddy, Mike Ensley, uh, uh, Dave Scal knows him as well, uh, who puts on Pensacon, has a television show called Nightmare Theater that started uh, in Pensacola. And it's a horror host show with a monster movie every Saturday night. And he has expanded. The show's exploded. And it's like in Pensacola, Tallahassee, Panama City has been syndicated, Fort Myers, Jacksonville. Uh, it's in Tennessee now, uh, in uh, Chattanooga and Knoxville. And then at Halloween, it's going to be in Gainesville, Florida. And it's basically an old-style horror show. And technically, at this point, they're second behind Svengooli as far as the, the most uh, viewers of any horror show, hosted show in the country. So they're doing good, and I just wanted to give a shout-out for them. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. That is really cool. If you want, send us a link and we'll put it up on our show notes. Okay, cool. That'd be cool. And Mr. Mike Gordon, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure, especially when we're counting down to Halloween. Oh, yes, 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 yes. What do you got to shout out about, sir? Well, you know, it's October. It's that time of year and uh, that time of season. And, uh, you know, you want some, you want your house or wherever you're living to be to have the sense of the season and uh, Cadaver Candle Company. It's a it's a new venue. It's a new company by our good friends uh, Ryan Cadaver from the Casket Creatures uh, and his wonderful wife uh, Battle Cougar, aka Nicole. 
Uh, they have uh, come up with uh, c- Cadaver Candle Company, and uh, they have two scents right off the bat that uh, got my attention. One is called Happy Haunts, and it is inspired by everyone's favorite haunted attraction. It's a spellbinding, complex, exotic fragrance of sandalwood, amber, and balsam with subtle undertones of patchouli and vanilla and a hint of musk. And uh, yeah, if that's not something that follows you home, I don't know what is. Uh, and then they've also got uh, another brand new scent that they've just uh, debuted called uh, Devil's Day, which is uh, the scent of jack-o'-lanterns on a cool autumn night. So you can get both those uh, scents as well as other candles, other scented candles, and you could they have other products as well. Check them out, uh, Cadaver Candle Co. Um, they have a website, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. That is awesome, man. That is really awesome. I've smelled some of those candles, and they're very interesting smelling. Yeah, the I com- will say that the company that they were working with before uh, they did. I still have a candle that still. Um, I, I never lit it, but it still sent, it still um, has the odor still in my room, in my office. So, oh, wow. Um, but if you want, uh, you know, these seem perfect for the season. And then if you want, you know, Halloween to, to continue on, you can always smell like Halloween in your house. Wow. That's awesome. You know, there's not nothing wrong with a little bit of the fall smell. And that's one of the things I love about this season is the cooler weather, the nice you know, being able to open the windows, not have to worry about the heat and humidity that we get here in Atlanta. Mm. And it's, it's just wonderful. And, you know, that's one of my type times of seasons I love. And, you know, for me, it's the different types of ciders. And I don't just mean the alcoholic stuff. I, I do mean, you know, going out to like an orchard in the mountains and being able to get, you know, go to a fresh apple orchard and getting, you know, homemade apple cider or getting, you know, stuff like that. It's just, it's great memories from when I was a kid, you yeah. know, up in New England and up in the mountains. It's just, it's great. And I love that here in Georgia, we do have the mountains here and they do the same thing. So it's always fun just to do road trips and stuff like that. And, you know, with the way things are right now, it is almost like, all right, what can we do with our time? You know, we can't go to the movie theaters. We just lost a movie theater chain. You know, literally Regal just announced that they're closing all their theaters. You know, so it's just like, enjoy a road trip. Enjoy, you know, be in the car. You know, you could easily socially distance that way and everything. And it's, you know, And then when you see like a mom and pop stand or something, you know, put your mask on and be able to go help these people who are needing it also. And it's a great way to help people survive and everything. Small businesses, they're the, you know, what this country is based off of. And it's not the big corporations. It's the people behind in the small little mom and pop shops, the stands, you know, the local businesses. And this is what you got to take care of. And this is what you got to help. And, you know, that's what fall is to me is just being able to enjoy the weather and, you know, enjoy it with other people, but from a distance, you know, and just be smart about it, folks. That's all you have to do, you know. People are so divided right now. Buy somebody a glass of apple cider and, you know, 
pass it across, you know, leave it on a table, walk away six feet and let them enjoy it, you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool thing to do. And it's always great to do it. You know, fall is a great season for that. You know, you're getting close to the holidays. Christmas is what, 60 days from now or so? It's not that far away. You know, this is the time that's supposed to be bringing families together, not dividing them. Like, you know, what's going on in the world right now. Just try to remember that, folks. Try to remember that we are all here to as brothers and sisters. And it's just about having, you know, a positive attitude about stuff. And it's hard nowadays. Trust me. I am not the most happy, positive person in the world a lot of times. And I have two people on this podcast with me who can testify on that part. So it is just a really good time to put all that behind you and let's fall. It's, you know, it's a great, great time. Color is changing. The weather's changing. Everything is changing. Why not change your attitude? Change your, you know, what's going on with you guys. Just try to, you know, go back and try to remember the good things and just enjoy yourselves. Be safe, be happy. That's all we can ask for. And, you know, we have, you know, so many good things going that are really going on that people are doing and stuff in this world. Don't dwell on the negative. That's all. That's my little soapbox for tonight. It's, you know, where just my thoughts are right now. We do appreciate it. And we got some great things coming up. Speaking of great things, next week, Mr. Mike, what do we got coming up on Earth Station One? We're going to do an old-fashioned movie review, uh, but it's going to be a spooky movie. Well, kind of a spooky, yeah, spooky movie, uh, but it's one I haven't seen. It's going to be nice to revisit. And, of course, uh, it's I think it's on one Ashley's uh, wish list as well to see, to finally watch, and that is The Lost Boys. We are going to be uh, checking in with Kiefer and the vampires of uh, uh, somewhere out in California. But um, uh, it's a fun movie. I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out. Uh, It's going to be fun to introduce it to uh, Ashley as well as revisit it myself. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a great, great movie to watch. I haven't seen that one probably in about 15, 20 years. Yeah, I I predict we're going to have a good time tonight. Oh, I think we are rock and roll music and play all night that's right so it should be cool it should be a lot of fun so lost boys next week but you know until then my name is mike faber on behalf of myself mr mark maddox mr mike gordon we will see you here next time on the air station one podcast peace and stay safe and we're done you've been listening to the air station one podcast a show by fans for fans If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.